man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. August 1 edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Training camps are open. Hall of Fame game coming Thursday night. And we've got a double dip. That's dip, Chris Sims, of AFC West quarterbacks. Let's just get right to it. Hear less of me and more of them. You're going to hear back-to-back. New Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. New Broncos quarterback, Case Keenum. And then we'll chat some after you've heard everything that both of those guys have to say. Here's Mahomes. It's a year of change for the Kansas City Chiefs, but a lot of fans throughout the NFL excited by what may happen when it's time for the Chiefs to trot out their new quarterback. He's number 10 overall pick in the 2017 draft, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick, welcome back to the program. How are you, pal? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. Where were you when you found out that the Chiefs were going to move on from Alex Smith and give Patrick Mahomes the starting job for 2018? Uh, yeah, I was actually back home with my family. I had my brother's uh, basketball game, and uh, I got the news, and uh, from then on, I've just been trying to keep grinding and making sure that I'm ready whenever this season uh, comes to the start. How much pressure does it add to a guy who's only entering his second NFL season to know that a Chiefs team that has been very good in recent years is relying upon him to be the guy who makes the passing game go? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We have a really good team, and so it kind of takes some of the pressure off me with how good the team that we have and the weapons I have around me that I just have to put the ball in their hands. I don't have to necessarily do uh, everything for the team. I don't have to try to carry the team on my own. I have a lot of good teammates that will help make my job a lot easier. How old were you when you realized you had a really strong arm? Uh, yeah, I think it was like T-ball. I remember I had to move up in T-ball, and I would be slinging the ball to the first baseman, and, and they told me I, at one point they were telling me I'd have to roll, I had to roll the ball there because I was throwing it too hard. <laughs> That's probably when I figured out I had the strong arm. Any any stories uh, like the one that we always hear about Bo Jackson throwing crab apples through screen doors and hitting the guys who were giving him a hard time? Got anything like that with crab apples or anything other than no, balls? Uh, the, the the main one was it's a t-ball story. I mean, the full story is I I, I moved up because there was like two different t-ball leagues, one for the older kids and one for for mine. I moved up to the older kids division and. Uh, I was playing shortstop, and they hit me a ground ball in practice, and I threw it over the first base, just how I thought you were supposed to throw it, and it, uh, it actually hit, hit the kid at first base in the glasses and broke his glass, and so they told me how to roll it from then on. So how old were you, and, and how old were the other kids you were playing with? I think I was just, just turned five, and they were about oh, like six and seven years old. When did you understand that you could throw a football as far as you can? I think it was – in high school, uh, just when pre-games, we, we, would, we would throw the ball. We'd long tosses as we warmed up. And I started being able to throw the ball further and further. And, I mean, I never really realized how far I could throw compared to other quarterbacks and, uh, until I kind of got on to college and, and started realizing I could throw the ball a, lot, uh, a little bit further than everybody else. What's the farthest you've ever thrown a football? The farthest I've ever thrown a football is 83 yards. But I had a little wind in my back, so I always claim I can throw about 80. Now, is there anything that you do to make your arm stronger, or is it all natural? I think it's, it, it comes from long toss to my dad when I was younger. I mean, he played professional baseball, and he would always make me long toss and just to kind of build arm strength and do those things. And so I was throwing the ball all the time, long toss, and that, that's really what helped me uh, kind of build my arm strength and being able to throw the ball far. 
We see from time to time that different quarterbacks will, will have competitions at training camp, whether it's with other quarterbacks or other players on the team. Drew Brees and the Saints, there was a thing they do in Arizona with Patrick Peterson involved. Do you guys do anything like that at the Chiefs where you have any type of throwing competition or any other pre-practice competition? Oh, yeah. We, we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of crossbar challenges. We do a lot of net drills. We do a lot of uh, just getting – uh, what are those things called? Dummies and stuff like that and trying to hit targets and everything like that. I mean, it's something we compete in everything we do. We do some stuff actually after workouts to try to condition as well with a lot of running it added into it just to be more conditioning for, with the quarterback group. Who wins those? Uh, we, we split it. We split it all up. I mean, everybody wins their days. Uh, I like to think that I win the most out of everybody, but uh, everybody, everybody gets a win here and there. What's the biggest thing you learned last year, Patrick, sitting on the bench for most of the season? I think just learning how to have success in the NFL and what what comes with that. Uh, Alex was was great at preparing and making sure he was ready for every situation that was going to come in the game. And uh, me being able to watch him uh, do that and prepare for games is something that I was utilize this year and help help my game and help me figure out ways I can prepare myself in order to win games. What have you been do, doing in practice this training camp to kind of test the limits of what you can do? I got the impression in some comments from Coach Reed that they're going to let you go out and play your game. Are you seeing how far you can can push the, the envelope and where you can put the ball and, and where that line may be between a completion and an interception? Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, and what come with that, I mean, the interceptions come sometimes, but you got to know it's practice. You have to learn from those things. and You can't, you can't make the same mistake twice. Uh, I mean, with having the receivers that I have and the running backs and the, the weapons on the outside, I like to give them a chance to make plays. And so uh, I've been doing that as camps went on, and uh, I've, I've made a lot of big plays. At the same time, I've made mistakes that I have to learn from and get better at it and have them whenever the games come around. You got some great receivers on your team. Sammy Watkins joins the roster along with Tyreek Hill. Who's faster between the two? Uh, I would have to say Tyreek, man. I mean, that's no knock on Sammy. Tyreek's the fastest dude in the NFL. I don't think it's close. I mean, it, it is crazy how fast he is. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'll tell you what. I mean, Sammy, Sammy's up, up there, too. So, I mean, those two really fast guys, I, I give the nod to Tyreek. Can you overthrow Tyreek Hill? Uh, I, I think I can, but I mean, I haven't yet. So, uh, I, anywhere I throw it, it feels like if I, the further I throw it, the better chance he is has of catching it. And, uh, I mean, hopefully we'll be able to utilize that some this year. Who gets the edge when you face Marcus Peters and the Rams later this year? You, because you've seen him practice and know what he does or him because he's seen you practice and knows what you do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Marcus is a great player, and he's someone that's really instinctual and makes a lot of makes a lot of good plays. But I mean, I feel like as us as a team, we're gonna go out there and compete, and uh, hopefully come out with a win after the game. For you personally, this year, stepping into the shoes of Alex Smith with a team that has been to the postseason, what what is your main objective in year one as a starter for the Chiefs? Uh, I mean, my main objective is to win. I mean. It doesn't really matter where, with the stats and all the different accolades that you can collect. I mean, if you're a winner in this league, you can play for a long time and have a lot of success. So I just want to go out there every single week and try to win and try to make a run in the playoffs and try to get to the Super Bowl and win it. What's the best advice you've gotten from your dad about playing in a professional sports league, even though it's not baseball, it's still professional sports and it has a unique set of challenges and pressures? I think the the best advice I've always had from my dad, no matter if it was professional or if it was uh, back in Little League, was just to play your game and be yourself. 
I, that's something he's harped on me uh, my whole my whole life is to go out there, players make plays, and he says to me almost out there before every single game, and just play your game, and uh, and you'll have success. I talked to you earlier about trying to find that line between interception and completion in practice. For this year for you, your first year as a starter, is this season almost kind of like a testing ground? So in regular season game action, you get an idea of what you can get away with. So you'll you'll be better suited to make good decisions year three, year four, year five of your career? Uh, no, not, not at all. I mean, this year we're ready to go. I mean, we're ready to go. We have a great team. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to make a run at it. And uh, so for me, I'm trying to learn all that stuff I can in practice and in the preseason so that whenever the season comes around, around I'm ready to go. And uh, I'm not going to be trying to make those mistakes in the game. I'm going to be trying to really focus in on being efficient and putting us in the best play and hopefully making a lot of big plays and winning a lot of football games. You know, it's been a long time since the Chiefs have been in the Super Bowl. It's been a long time since the Chiefs even played for a chance to get to the Super Bowl. But the Chiefs have been better more often than not. How much anxiety and and uh, hope do you sense from the Chiefs fans that this collection of players is going to be the one to finally bust through and get back to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the fans are, are, are ready for it. I mean, us as a team and the fans and just Chiefs kingdom in general are ready to get there and, and, and to win it. And so for us, we're going to go out there every single day, every single practice and grind at going at that goal. And, I mean, having that goal in mind, I mean, you really come out every single day and leave it all on the field. There's a lot of people out there, including me, who are expecting big things from you this year. And I think you're going to be great. And I think the Chiefs are going to be great. How do you handle hearing voices on the outside who give you praise? It's one thing to react to criticism. But when you keep hearing praise and praise and praise, how do you process that and deal with it? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's good to see. I mean, having people that I seem like are in your corner. But at the same time, I mean, now in this training camp, it's time to go. I mean, it's time to... You kind of put all that aside. You know that every single day you have to work in order to have success in this league, and every single day you have to go out there and do what you can to get better. And so now that we're in training camp and we're basically into the season, I have to make sure that I'm doing that. How much attention do you pay to the critics? Uh, I mean, not not much. I mean, I remember watching my dad as I grew up, and, I mean, he didn't pay attention to that stuff. I mean, they're not in the locker room with us. They're not in here really grinding with us and doing whatever we can in order to put ourselves in the best situation to win football games. So, for me, I'm worried about this locker room and about the guys in it and trying to win with them. I talked to Tyreek Hill earlier this summer, and he shared with us a nickname that they have for you that I had never heard before, Patty Cakes. (laughs) How do you how do you like being yeah. called Patty Cakes? I mean, it doesn't matter to me. We have a lot of nicknames in this locker, in this locker room, so I mean, it, it, it's fine with me. Uh, everybody seems to like it, so I'll roll with it. All right. Well, hey, Patty Cakes, uh, congratulations <laughs> on everything you've done so far, and we really do look forward. It's one of the big stories that I'm anxious to see this year: how the Chiefs do and and how you're able to out get out there and pull the trigger for the uh, passing game. We look forward to talking to you down the road, and wish you all the best moving forward. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Joining me now, a guy who had one of the best quarterback seasons of any NFL quarterback back in 2017 with the Minnesota Vikings. Now the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. He is Case Keenum. Case, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I'm uh, I'm doing well, man. Just enjoying another training camp day. And you know what? This is a great training camp for you because unlike pretty much every other year of your career, there's no doubt who the guy is. You're the guy. You don't have to scratch and claw. You don't have to fight for reps. You're the starter without question. The Broncos haven't had that in several years. You haven't had that. 
how much easier is it to get ready for a season when you are the guy that is getting all of the work with the first team? You know, it, it feels great. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's easier. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word because, uh, man, we still have the Seahawks coming up, you know, week one. But, uh, you know, it's it's competing against yourself uh, and it's competing against everybody. It's, it's uh, you know, there is there is a lot less, uh, you know, just this kind of buzz going around. I guess you could say that, uh, you know, just distractions in, in that in that sort of manner. And I can just relax and, and play football, compete against myself and and really focus on my uh you know, my craft, getting my, getting my team ready to play, getting my offense ready to play and move the ball and go score points. So it's, it's been really nice this, uh, you know, this first few days of training camp. How much of an adaptation are you making, Case, from the Vikings offense of last year to the offense you'll be running in Denver this year? You know, every, every offense in the NFL is a little bit different, but there's, there's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, and, and I've been in enough offenses now where, uh, you know, Billy, our, our offensive coordinator, is drawn from different, you know, teams, different uh, systems that he's been in, and he's, you know, he's created a system that I really, really enjoy, and uh, really, you know, I've, I've enjoyed playing for so far. So, um, you know, it's kind of just it gets gets the stuff that he thinks is the best, and he thinks that we can do well, and and uh, installs it, and uh, you know, I, I like that. I like what he's doing, and uh, I like playing for him. I think uh, we're communicating well right now, and and having a lot of fun competing against our defense. So uh, the transition's been good, though. I, I've enjoyed it. I've been in a few offenses now, so I kind of know the, uh, you know, how it works to change offenses. But uh, I'm excited to, to be in this one. It's, it's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's fit for me. I'm getting the impression, Case, that this offense was specifically constructed to suit your skills and abilities based upon things you've done elsewhere that have worked. Build an offense that gets the most out of what you do well. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Billy will talk and he'll he'll randomly pull you know, talk about a play I made somewhere, you know, way down the line and uh you know, so I know he's watched a lot of my film and, and has gotten to know me well and um you know, I, it's it's nice to have an offense that uh is built uh you know, around and for me and, and, and my teammates. So we're finding out what receivers, you know, what routes they like to run and what they're good at and um, you know, we're we're figuring out uh you know what what run plays we like and and then trying to fit it up with the best scheme that we know we're going to we're going to face um you know so all that combination that uh you know that's that's what training camps for we're finding our identity as a team as an offense and um you know moving uh moving forward each day competing each day and learning from our mistakes one thing coaches will try to do from time to time cases get you out of your comfort zone get you to do something that maybe you don't like to do maybe something that isn't as natural as other things you can do is there an area where you're trying to get out of your comfort zone you're trying to expand your overall skill set you know there's there's a lot of areas and i think coaches you know i've got some great coaches um you know mike sullivan our our quarterback coach does a great job of uh, pushing me in areas that maybe I'm, I'm not real comfortable with. And so uh, some, some areas of the game where I don't have a lot of knowledge yet. And he's, he's pushing me in those areas. And I think to grow, you have to be uncomfortable. Um, you know, if, if you're always, you know, sitting easy, if you're always feeling good about what's going on, if, if there's no pressure applied, then I don't think there's any real growth. Um, you have to be uh, okay with making a mistake and, and taking a chance and, going out on a limb and doing something maybe you've never done before to grow and, and, and be where you want to be. And, uh, you know, they're pushing me, they're pushing my teammates. And uh, I appreciate it because, uh, you know, when it comes down to uh, 
uh, you know, the time in the fall when, when uh, you know, the, the, the real uh, live reps are happening, you know, that's, that's when you fall back on your preparation, and we're being prepared really well. Case, one thing that really impressed me last year when I saw you play for the Vikings, your ability to escape the pocket, move laterally, reset, look down the field, move again, look down the field, always have sense of what was going on around you, and inevitably you'd find a guy wide open. How do you strike that balance between when to escape the pocket and try to make things happen that way versus hanging in there and maybe waiting for that second or third read to spring open? You know, I think all all quarterbacks, you, you, you have to have a mental clock in your head. And um, whether that's tied to your footwork, uh, whether that's tied to the play, um, you know, it's probably a lot of both. But uh, you kind of know when, when people are supposed to be open and then, and then also having a, a really good feel of the pocket, um, you know, knowing, uh, you know, just kind of not looking at the rush, but feeling the rush and, you know, the combination of all that stuff, you want to get the ball out on time and at the right, uh, you know, where the, where the play is intended to go. But, uh, you know, sometimes you have to improvise. And I would, I would say you go through a, a year of, of clips of, of passes that, are, that a quarterback throws. And, you know, I would say, you know, less than half are on time. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot more that are, that are off schedule, that are, uh, you know, moving in the pocket, that are off platform. And uh, that's something we work on every day. And, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff you just have to do so it comes naturally. We hear all the time about kickers kicking the ball farther in that Colorado air. Do you feel that you can throw the ball farther at altitude? Well, I can definitely hit the golf ball a lot further. Uh, so <laughs> I got my confidence going there. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know the football. Maybe maybe a few inches here or there. Um, you know, in the spring, I overthrew Emmanuel DT a few times on a go route. I, you know, I claimed that it was the altitude, but, uh, uh, you know, I think I've been here long enough where I don't think I can have that excuse anymore. You got a couple of great receivers in Denver in Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, and you had Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs in Minnesota. How do those groups compare? You know, it's, it's so tough to compare. There's so many different, uh, things that go into being a receiver and different qualities and, uh, um, you know, strengths that, that different guys have, um, you know, those guys in Minnesota were great. I love playing with them. I'm so pumped for Diggs. He just signed a new contract, a uh, five-year extension. Um, I think he, I think he needs to take me out to a nice steak dinner, but, uh, <laughs> uh I appreciated, uh, my time with him and I learned a lot from them. Um, you know, and I, I built a lot of that uh, relationship, uh, based on, you know, my past, my past experiences. So, you know, how I approach these uh, these guys I'm working with now is, you know, stuff I've learned from, from receivers, you know, I've worked with in the past because uh, Demarius and Emmanuel, man, they, they're competitors. Um, you know, they've, they've made some catches that uh, have really, really impressed me in, in, in training camp. And, man, I'm excited to see them go, uh, go full speed in a game because uh, I've been watching them for a long time and big fans of them for a long time. And to get to know them, uh, not just as players, as, as people, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You mentioned Stephon Diggs, and we were having this discussion earlier today on my morning show. Diggs paid like the number one receiver. Was he the number one receiver last year, or was Adam Thielen? Because I can't figure out who the number one guy in Minnesota is. Oh, that's a that's honestly that's a good uh, good thing. If you don't know who the number one receiver is, then you know then you don't know who to cover because uh, <laughs> they're both going to get open. Hey, you've got a book coming out September four, playing for more. 
T tell me why now was the time you decided to, to write this book about your life's experiences. You know, um, we're sitting at dinner, uh, you know, after the Super Bowl there in Minnesota with some friends, my wife, um, my agent, and uh, Andrew Perloff, who actually helped me write the book. Um, uh, and, you know, we kind of laughed about the idea of writing a, writing a book. And, uh, you know, I thought it'd be a pretty cool idea. I mean, it'd be a fun little, little dream. And, and uh, you know, like I think three weeks later, uh, Andrew's flying down and we're spending a weekend talking through just – you know, my life and my, my wife and I's, you know, just story and, and how we've come to where we are now. Um, and man, God has just been so faithful and, and shown us so much favor that, uh, man, I wanted to show just everything we've, we've been through. And, uh, I was hoping that it'd be an encouragement, uh, to people maybe that have been in the same situations It'd be a, you know, challenge people that, uh, are facing some of the same adversities. To, to view them as opportunity because, you know, we've had a lot of adversity in my life. Um, you know, I tore my ACL my senior year in college. Uh, I've been cut three times. I was undrafted. Um, you know, I've bounced around to, you know, six teams on seven, in seven years. And, uh, you know, to be here as a starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos is, you know, introduced by John Elway, one of your childhood, um, you know, idols. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty unbelievable to see just the, you know, the, the fingerprints of God throughout my story. And, uh, man, it's just, just an incredible way, you know, kind of surrounding the Minnesota miracle, the play that happened, um, you know, as a way to show my thanks for, you know, fans in Minnesota and really to introduce myself to people in Denver um, who may not know me or what I'm about or what I stand for. Um, you know, it, uh, we saw it as a, as a good way of doing that. And, it's going to all come together and uh you know it's it's going to be a really cool deal i think it comes out september 4th and uh and uh, i think you can pre-order it uh you know at different different areas too but uh um you know we're we're really happy with how it uh, how it came out and and we hope people like it too in case you had that great photo, and I'm sure this shows up somewhere in the book, of a young Case Keenum wearing the John Elway jersey, number seven. Was there any chance whatsoever? Because Peyton Manning wore Frank Trapuca's number 18 when he came to town six years ago. Any discussion at all about seven coming down from the rafters and Case Keenum wearing it for the Broncos? Uh, I didn't bring it up. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever worn four before? You know, I haven't, I haven't, um, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, it's growing on me. And, uh, I think the first, uh, first week we tried out there against Seattle, I'll, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, uh, I think it'll, it'll be solidified for me. You mentioned that your coaches are working with you to develop an offense that gets the most out of your skills. Have you spent any time watching film with John Elway and getting any pointers from him? You know, he's always around, um, you know, we've got a lot of people here that are doing a great job of getting us all prepared. Um, you know, we got a we got a lot of film to watch. So, um, you know, I'm sure if he ever needs needs anything from me, though, he wouldn't he wouldn't hesitate to to ask. You know, one more before I let you go. You had a chapter or two that was yet to even unfold when you decided to write your book as to what was going to happen in Minnesota. What ultimately do you think happened? Why do you think they went in a different direction at quarterback? You know, I don't know. Um, you'd have to ask them that. Uh, you know, for me, um, I think it's worked out how it's supposed to. You know, I, I couldn't be happier with where I'm at. I couldn't have been happier with the phone call I got and, and uh, you know, how it's gone so far. So, I think, uh, like you said, it's just, uh, 
maybe a few more chapters for my next book. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll maybe maybe call and talk to you in a few years about it. How about? And I said one more, and you know what? Former lawyers always ask one more after that. I'm Liar. intrigued by your schedule. That's right, exactly. I'm intrigued <laughs> by your schedule. You mentioned you got Seattle week one. You're going to play all four teams from the NFC West. The Vikings are going to play all four teams from the NFC West. Yep. I mean, there's going to be some apples-to-apples -apples comparisons. Are you going to be paying attention to how Kirk Cousins and the Vikings do against the teams that you know you'll be facing? You know, you always watch games, um, you know, of teams you know and guys you know. So um, I'm sure we'd be watching a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, overlapping film. But uh, you know how that goes. Um, you know, it's just uh, – you know, the more longer you're in this league, the more you know a lot of teams. So I've played on a lot of different teams, and, uh, you know, I'm watching a lot of different teams when I watch film. Well, Case, we'll let you get back to watching film and getting to practice and doing everything else you need to do to get ready for week one against the Seahawks. The book comes out September 4, playing for more. Great talking to you. Congratulations on all your success, and look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Thanks again to Patrick Mahomes and Case Keenum. Check out Case Keenum's new book. Comes out September 4. You should get a free copy. Not that I'm too cheap to buy books. I am. I'm just used to them showing up. And I never know what's going to show up. I know that it's a book based upon the package because not many things feel like a book other than a book. And it's kind of like a surprise Secret Santa Christmas present. I never know what it's going to be. And sometimes I read it and sometimes I don't. So we'll see if we get a copy of Case Keenum's book. We'll see if Patrick Mahomes is writing a book at some point. I have a feeling he will be because I think he's going to be great. Speaking of great, the PFTPM Posse. Teeing up some questions, as always, for me to answer here on the PFTPM podcast. Matt Casey, kind enough to look through them, pick out the best ones, and, and pass them along. Hello, Matt Casey. What do you have? Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> uh, yeah, Wednesday. Based on the interview we just heard with Case, Leapers 500 wants to know, what do you make of the Denver QB situation? You can talk smack about him now, Mike, since he's gone. Uh, anyway, he continues, they can't find a backup amongst Lynch, Kelly, and they let Simeon, a man born to be a backup, go. Has Elway been a good judge of the very talent and others he himself so prodigiously displayed? Well, I mean, here's the thing. John Elway hit a home run with Peyton Manning, but it's not like he went out on a limb. It's not like he had to turn over rocks and find Peyton Manning. They were lining up out the door to sign Peyton Manning back in 2012. Since then, it's been a little more difficult for John Elway. And specifically, right after they signed Peyton Manning. Second-round pick used on Brock Osweiler. I would say, all things considered, not the best investment of draft resources. And then after Peyton Manning retired and Brock Osweiler left for free or via free agency to Houston, Paxton Lynch, they traded up in round one to get him, and he has not been good enough so far, as evidenced by the fact that he's in year three and he's not the starter. He didn't get a chance to compete to be the starter this year. Last year, he competed with Trevor Simeon, the former seventh rounder out of Northwestern, and couldn't beat out Simeon. When I think, if anything, it was rigged, hashtag rigged, in Lynch's favor. He still couldn't win the competition. So I don't know about Elway's quarterback evaluation skills. I think he's waiting for another John Elway. And we all know a John Elway when we see a John Elway. The problem is if the guy isn't a can't-miss shortlist Hall of Famer, if the guy is just one of the many 
serviceable NFL quarterbacks, how do you find the right one? Now with Case Keenum, look, I think the Broncos are better off than they were last year. Obviously, the bar's low. I think Case Keenum was surprisingly good for the Vikings. I love how he extends plays. I love the lateral movement, the constant focus down the field, the ability to sense the pressure around him and get rid of the football to the open man. The one criticism, and I tried to find the most diplomatic way to raise this with him. I asked him how you strike the balance between when to escape the pocket and make something happen versus hanging in there and waiting for someone to get open. Because the one criticism I've heard is there were times, if you look at the film, the All-22, and you see who's open and who's not open, he bailed out of the pocket when, if he would have stayed there, there was a receiver either open or who would have been open. Now, that may just be revisionist history by the Vikings to justify going with Kirk Cousins at $28 million a year instead of Keenum at $18 million. But that's a criticism I've heard. The results, undeniable. And for him to have the opportunity of the entire offseason program, training camp, preseason, to get ready to be the guy, he hasn't ever had that. If he has, it was years ago. I think this is a great opportunity for him to go in and be the guy and get the most out of his abilities. They still have a very good defense in Denver. If they can get the running game under control, they've got the receivers. Offensive line may need some work, but if Keenum is able to make things happen with his feet and get out of the pocket, it's not as important for the offensive line to perform at a high level. I think the Broncos could be very good. The AFC West is the one division I look at, and I say any of the four teams could finish first, second, third, or fourth. And I think injuries will be a factor. The games they play against each other, the round-robin tournament where they play all the teams in the NFC West, I think those are all be factors. There's going to be some close games, tough games, but I think the Broncos could win the division. I don't know how they do in the postseason, but if they get home field advantage, which is probably a long shot given the schedule they play, and they bring a team like Pittsburgh or New England to Denver, I think they have a chance to advance. I, I really do think the Broncos have a chance to be really good this year, and I'm not just saying that because Keenum was on the show. Now, maybe I'd be influenced if he, I had gotten a copy of his book by now, but I really do think they have a chance to be good because I think the quarterback position has been the, the biggest reason why they've fallen off the last couple of years. 22 touchdowns, seven picks last year, 230 or so yards a game. Do you think he sniffs those numbers this year? Yeah, I mean, he's got a Mary, uh, a Marius Sanders, a Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And there were times last year at Felt like he was teetering on the edge of a meltdown. He had a game against Washington where he threw a couple of ugly picks. He's got the propensity to play beyond his abilities and do something that ends up in hindsight being dumb. And that's where he needs the coaching. I was encouraged by the explanation that Bill Musgrave, the offensive coordinator, is finding the things that Keenum did well and incorporating them into the playbook. You construct your playbook for the guys you have. You don't say, hey, here's my playbook. Either run my plays or take a seat on the bench. That's good coaching, and that's what they need to do to get the most out of Case Keenum. So 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions, that's impressive. And I, I think he could do that at least that much this year in, in, uh, in Denver. Coach Olson wants to know, where do you believe Des Bryant signs? You know, I don't at this point know. Peter King said today on PFT Live that the Browns are out of the mix. And I thought that if he ever signed with the Browns, that would mean – Josh Gordon's done. And I think maybe they talked to Des Bryant while they were in the early phases of trying to figure out what's up with Josh Gordon, but I think they've come to the conclusion Gordon will be back and they don't need Des Bryant. If they sign Des Bryant, 
no Josh Gordon. You know, I think the Ravens could still sign him, and a bookmaker. Dot EU has the Ravens as the favorites at plus 350, I believe, to sign Bryant. I think they would have signed Des Bryant if he was available back in the early days of free agency. Between Bryant and Michael Crabtree, I think they would have preferred Des Bryant. So if there's an injury to a Ravens receiver, then maybe they give Des Bryant a call. And uh, maybe at some point, Des Bryant just gets antsy about waiting. That's my concern. The guy played the X position in one offense for eight years. The longer he waits to sign with a new team, the harder it's going to be to get him up to speed in time to make a contribution early in the season. And then if he's not making a contribution early in the season, will he become frustrated or will he keep working and working and working? I mean, first he's got to make the 53-man roster. And if you're too far down the depth chart, they're going to expect you to play special teams. They're not going to carry a spot on the depth chart for a guy that isn't going to play special teams. PFT, PM Posse, give us the lawyer Mike interpretation of Caps attorney Mark Garagos's protective order segment on his podcast regards to the Trump-Jerry Jones conspiracy. Well, here's what's going on. When the NFL is involved in arbitrations that are filed under the collective bargaining agreement, the league typically goes whining to the arbitrator to say, tell the lawyer representing the person who is trying to get something from us to shut up. If it were a normal lawsuit filed in open court, there would be a wide variety of things the lawyer could talk about publicly without being scrutinized by the state bar for violating the ethical rules. Anything that's a matter of public record, you can talk about. There, there are, like I said, a wide variety of things about your case that you can talk about. And there are documents that are freely available in the courthouse for people to look at and learn about the case. The NFL likes to keep these cases secret while they're pending. Now, after it's over, nothing keeps Mark Garrigus from sending to anyone he wants in the media a copy of Jerry Jones' deposition transcript, but for now, they can have an expectation that everyone is going to keep quiet. And there's nothing the arbitrator can do to discipline Mark Garrigus. He's got no authority to fine him or anything like that. The thinking is, if you violate whatever it is the arbitrator wants you to do, the arbitrator is going to become jaded regarding the merits of your case. And it sounds petty, but lawyers always fear that. Lawyers fear pissing off the judge or the arbitrator or whoever is making the decision in the case because the thinking is if you piss them off at some level, it is going to influence the human being to think less of your cause than he or she otherwise would. And I think that's why we haven't heard much from Garrigus, but he, he broke out of that he got a little too comfortable on his own podcast. He started complaining about the protective order. He talked about this believed conspiracy between Donald Trump and Jerry Jones. And I think it's more coincidental than anything. I don't think the president and Jerry Jones are in communication about how they're going to prevail over the anthem policy. Because I think from the president's standpoint, he really doesn't want the league to give in. It's a much better issue for him if the league refuses to give in. And then he can constantly tweak the NFL for not giving in. So this Garrigus theory seems to be that Trump and Jones are working together to get the NFL to cave on the issue. I don't think the president wants them to cave. Jones wants them to cave because he wants the issue to go away. I think the president would prefer that the issue hang around through the midterm elections for the next two years so it can become a giant wedge issue when Trump runs again in 2020. All right, that's the best from the posse. A bone to pick from me. Here we go. The Minnesota Vikings make what 
I think we can agree was a pretty good business decision. They signed Stefan Diggs to a long-term deal. The guy's never had a thousand receiving yards, but very good player. Which doesn't not a, a ton of <laughs> yeah. And less than I think less than twenty-four hours later, you are stirring up a controversy, trying to needle Adam Thielen into uh, suggesting a holdout or begging for a trade. What gives? I'm not trying to stir up a controversy. I'm trying to take a news story and provide value to it by spinning it forward. The easy thing to do if you're analyzing the situation is say, what does this mean for Anthony Barr? Does he end up leaving via free agency? The Vikings have signed all of their core players except him. I think the more nuanced and complicated take on this is what does it mean for a guy who's making $4.8 million per year on a contract he signed last year? You got a guy making 4'8", who had over 1,200 receiving yards. No Viking receiver other than Randy Moss or Chris Carter ever had more than Adam Thielen in a single season. And he's at 4'8". And you've got Diggs, who's never had 1,000 yards, at 14'4". That's nearly $10 million per year more. So what are you going to do with Thielen? He's got three years left under his contract. My understanding is there were some discussions earlier this year, but they didn't lead anywhere. And at this point, it's something that would wait until after the season. So I think from Thielen's perspective guy who was undrafted, unwanted, uninvited to the combine, went to Mankato State where the Vikings trained at camp for 50 years. And I think he's just still in that mindset of, I'm happy to be here, I'll take what I can get. Well, at some point he's got to say, wait a minute, I'm the number one receiver on this team and I'm at 4-8 and Diggs is at 14-4, what are you going to do about it? And if he has another huge season, I think they have to do something about it. Last year, it wasn't a right, given. Well, let's let him get another huge season, season, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I still think, though, that he's proven himself at this point. He's had two very good seasons. They paid him coming out of 2016. 2017 was next level. And, look, they have him in a great spot. And I think that it comes down to the bird in the hand. You know, it comes down to the deal that you do that's on the table. We had $11 million guaranteed. I mean, what undrafted slappy from Mankato State is ever going to whiff $11 million in NFL salary, much less guaranteed? He got a $4 million signing bonus. He has to be happy relative to what his expectations were when he entered the NFL because he surely had no expectations. But now that he's arrived, you know, at some point, the humility has to go out the window. And you have to say, okay, I'm done being grateful. It's time for you to be grateful. I'm adding to your bottom line. I'm enhancing your overall operation. What are you going to do for me, especially when there's someone who has produced less than me who is making significantly more? I think at some point it's a fair question for him to ask. And it's not... It's not instigating. It's pointing out that there's an issue now that the Vikings are going to have to deal with, and they have to be aware of it. When they give Diggs 14-4 in new money, they have to be aware that at some point they're going to have to deal with Thielen, especially if Thielen keeps playing at a high level. Down the road, yes. And one After note this on year. Even, even with two years left on his contract, I think they need to take care of him if he has another big year. Okay. I think it just could be framed as a maybe a good problem to have. Or uh, let's see how things yeah. develop. Not for Thielen. No. <laughs> I Not think a good problem for him. He's getting screwed. He's going to get paid by They're someone. screwing you, Adam. Hey, Adam, I hope you're listening. One thing, though, They're along the number you. one <laughs> the number one receiver thing, because you, you brought it up to Case Keenum, and I loved his answer. It's, it, no, one, no, they don't know who to double. Who are they going to double right, if you but have I think, no true number one receiver? But isn't – do you think the number one receiver, receiver idea is more of a media construct than anything? 
I think it's a combination of looking at the stats. You know, the number one guy tends to emerge based upon how often he gets the football. But I think the true number one guy is the one that opposing defenses are obsessed with stopping. So who are you game planning against? That's what I'd love to know. Okay. If we get access to Vic Fangio, Mike Pettin, or Matt Patricia, the de facto defensive coordinator of the Lions, who are they when it's time to play the Vikings this year? Who are they trying to shut down? Who are they trying to take out of the game plan? Matt Patricia with the Bill Belichick approach, take away what the other team does best. Is it constantly hitting singles and doubles to Adam Thielen, or is it taking away the possible triple or home run to Stephon Diggs? Because even though Diggs doesn't have huge numbers, Diggs has a knack for making the big play, up to and including the play that delivered the playoff victory against the Saints but I, I'd love to know who they take away and you know it's going to be Diggs, Thielen, Kyle Rudolph this year I don't know who the third receiver is going to be they hope it's going to be Laquan Treadwell there's another guy in camp that they're intrigued by who played in the Canadian Football League and led the CFL in receiving yardage last year that I was told keep an eye on him I can't remember his name though so it's kind of hard to keep an eye on him but he's whoever on the depth chart came from the CFL that that guy could develop into their third receiver and uh, they, they have it they have an opening there they have a need for a third receiver because they don't have a whole lot of faith in Des Bryant becoming the guy or not Des Bryant I'm thinking maybe they'll sign Des Bryant they don't have faith in Laquan Treadwell becoming the guy that they drafted him to be and one of the reasons they drafted him is because Teddy Bridgewater had some minor accuracy issues so you give him a big physical target like Laquan Treadwell and he doesn't have to uh, put the ball in quite the same window to make a completion. Good point. So I'm good. I'm done. You d I'm done with this guy. That's it. I thought you had another bone to pick. There was a B. It wasn't a bone. Here, no. It, the, uh, oh, yeah, the if you Mets saw the Mets thing, thing like last the Mets night, thing. they're down on, 21. The to, they're down, kicked out. <laughs> down 21 to whatever, and they and it's a trend throughout baseball this year. Actually, that's been off the charts uh, more prevalent than it has been when a team's getting blown out and they they have no uh they think they have no chance of coming back they will have a position player pitch it happened again last night with the Mets is there any kind of NFL equivalent to that to to the waving of the white flag like where you just would like you would you like to see that where, where people are playing out of position or or something well, I think playing out of position, you're just asking for trouble. And when you don't have to worry about budgeting innings like you do in right. baseball, you just you get the start. There's a point where you get the starter off the field. That's what I'd like to see more often, where you just concede. This is done. Let's put the backups in and let them get reps in a game setting because we don't want to expose our guys to any further injury beyond the foot that they have crammed up their, uh, you know, their butts today. But uh, – yeah, I, I, you just want the game to end. You just want the clock to move, and you want the game to end, and you just want to get everybody out of there without getting them injured. So the quickest and easiest way to do that for the players you care about is to pull them out of the game, although if they're that good, they're not going to be in a position where they're getting blown out. Too bad you can't do the high school thing where you'd have running time in the second half. Refs would do that all the time. You know, but the Run big the blowouts don't happen all that often. I remember back in the 70s when there was a much bigger gap in talent between the best teams and the worst teams. There were like 53 to 10 games, 61-17, 62 to 10. The, the, the biggest blowout that's happened 
in the last generation in the regular season was that Saints-Colts game that we had on Sunday Night Football, the yeah. year that Peyton Manning was injured. And that didn't that influence the, the sliding of the flex eventually, like starting week five, if you have that disaster where the starting quarterback is out with a torn ACL or a season-ending injury, you can flex a little bit earlier so we avoid. Because that happened, it was October 23rd of 2011, so that was before the flex window opened. And there was nothing we could do other than sit back and watch the Saints just beat the hell out of the Colts with Curtis Painter as the starting quarterback. Well, and how much of the lack of blowouts has to do with uh, not running up the score, you know, not tweaking the other team, that kind of thing like this? No, Whether it be an unwritten it. rule, you yeah. don't think? I, st- I, I don't know that. I don't know that there's a lot of that. I mean, did the Patriots ever take the foot off the gas? Well, they did. They didn't in '07 when they just killed everyone. They still don't. They right. still don't. They. they I, ah. I think that that free agency and the salary cap has tightened things up enough to the point where you rarely get a team that's in position to just drop the hammer and embarrass a team and win by 50 points. It just doesn't happen very often anymore because really that range, it used to be a huge range from best team to worst team, and I think it really has smoothed out. Now, look, it hasn't allowed teams like the Browns to take advantage of accidentally tripping into a playoff berth. Isn't that what the guy that screamed at the Factory of Sadness said? You know, the statistical odds (laughs) suggest that at some point you're going to get into the playoffs by accident. Yes. But – it's still, you know, the Browns, Peter King and I were arguing about this today as it relates to Hugh Jackson's responsibility for the Browns being horrible the last two years. They had some close games. At some point, the coach has to make the difference. But, you know, they're not getting blown off the field. And I, I think that's good. I mean, you God, who wants to watch the last two quarters of a game that that uh, is just completely and totally done at halftime, and there's no chance whatsoever for the team to come back. And, and there aren't a lot of NFL games that fall into that category where you can just say reliably at halftime that the game's over. So that's good. Did you see that they were reading from the media guide last night in yes, the I did. broadcast booth? Yeah. I did. That's pretty creative. They should have found the script of Keith Hernandez when he was on Seinfeld, and they should have done a table read of that. That would have been next level. Yes. Although I feel like Keith so. is probably sick of talking about Seinfeld doing his book tour. But, you know, it was a great story. Peter King had him on his podcast. He got $15,000 for that. And you think about it, it wasn't just a line or two. He flew to L.A. for the week, and he got fifteen grand to be a major supporting character in a two-part episode. Let me ask you— I mean, he was in ten scenes. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you say major character, and I agree. I grew up a Mets fan, though, and one of the first my first memories is Keith Hernandez being— a World Series hero in 1986, to to Mike Florio living in West Virginia, and when when was that episode? Early 90s, whenever it was. Early 90s. How big how big of a deal is Keith Hernandez to sort of the the national, what you know, general baseball fan, but just sort of the person watching Seinfeld. Oh, he was a big deal. No, yeah. that was a, that was a guy that was known as a star from the '86 Mets. I mean, right. You know, baseball in the mid '80s, I think, had bigger. a bigger platform than it does now. People knew who Keith Hernandez was. Okay. I remember when he wasn't he like co MVP. He was in like in the, the '70s NL with the Cardinals. With someone from the Pirates. In the Cardinals, yeah, when he was with the Cardinals, maybe in '79. Yeah. yeah. I think okay. it was him and Willie Stargell, or him and Dave Parker. You love something baseball. like that. You love baseball. 
You know what? I did love baseball at one point, and then Barry Bonds couldn't throw out Sid Bream at the plate in the 1992 NLCS Game 7, and I knew at that point the Pirates were not going to be very good for a long time, so I said, I'm done with baseball. I'm all in on football, and I never looked back. Keith Hernandez and, and Willie Stargell. I could not tell you a single guy who plays for the Pirates right now. Keith Hernandez, Willie Stargell, co-MVPs, 1979. Good work by you. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's, that's when I first I, – I was probably aware of Keith Hernandez before that, but that was the – he's always connected to the Willie Stargell, we are family Pirates with the ugly softball uniforms and the layer cake hats. And now you know Keith as the uh, – in the just for men, right? No play for Mr. Gray. Well, it's the your it's beard the, is uh, weird. The beard, your beard is weird. Your stash is trash. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> Emmett Smith's claim to fame, <laughs> yeah. best commercial ever, unintentionally. Yeah, unintentionally. So. Keyword. All right, I guess we've done enough damage here for one PFTPM podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. PFT Live weekdays, six to nine a.m. Eastern NBC Sports Radio, seven to nine on NBCSN. And uh, PFTPM podcast, whenever we can squeeze another one out. It's going to be rough the rest of the week because I got some stuff going on Thursday. And Friday is a trip to Canton, Ohio for the Gold Jacket Dinner. Shereen Williams of PFT getting the Dick McCann Award will speak at the Gold Jacket Dinner. So I'm going to drive up to Canton for that. Hopefully I won't get punched by Randy Moss, Shannon Sharp, or any of the other Hall of Famers who hate me. That could be interesting. I should take my son along as a bodyguard. But... No, I don't know. If those guys got money, I'll, I'll take a broken jaw if I can sue them into ob- oblivion. I don't know. I'd still, I'd still, you know, as I said all the time when I practiced law and I was trying to uh, negotiate settlements for people who had been injured, you know, I, I, I remember one guy was trying, to, was trying to convince my client, who was my, my legal assistant at the time, to take $5,000 for a car accident that resulted in her having a concussion. And I said, I'll tell you what, you come to my office. And I'll put $5,000 on the table. But you can only take it if I hit you in the head with a baseball bat first. Would you take it? <laughs> so, for the most part, you don't want to take the ass whipping. Uh, it's, better, it's better to not have the money. Uh, it's better to have your, your body in one piece. So, on that happy note, have what a great day. What a week I'm day. having. <laughs> oh, that's uh, Splash. Yes. Very good. Eugene. And listen, I thought of Splash recently. What news item made you think of Splash? National news item. <sighs> Uh, uh, if you don't know now, you're not going to figure it out. What Google's is not going to help you now. What is it? The people who stole the shark from the aquarium. Ah. Because they were stealing yeah, the mermaid. Yeah. And John call. Candy and Tom Hanks. What do you, what do you think we're going to do? Steal the mermaid? <laughs> oh, man, that's great. i got to go watch that again. I yes. have a feeling it didn't hold up well after 33 years, but Eugene Levy, he took the... Uh, hey, he John Candy, the, uh, the, John Candy knowing Swedish from his... Uh, from his film hey, hey, film preferences to, yeah. <laughs> will always yeah, be from funny. his habits that will always be yeah. funny yep all right uh well good good way to end it and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon everybody had a great day see you you can find the pftpm podcast on art 19 apple podcast stitcher and google play if you like what you hear and you will subscribe for automatic downloads leave a rating and review that'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts search pftpm for your evening update from pro football talk